Good morning. It is good to be with you. It is a good day. It's a beautiful day. Uh, I would like to tell you this is the normal day of November coming up very soon. Um, amazing weather, amazing time for us to come and worship Jesus. And I hope that you're ready to jump into the Word of God today because we're in John chapter 8. And John chapter 8, I know we're in a series called No Middle Ground. It might be one of the most significant chapters to help us understand why there is no middle ground. So go ahead and open up the scripture, uh, John chapter 8, uh, because this is an important passage. How many of you are parents? Please raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard your kids speak something and ignore them completely? Raise your hand. How many of you automatically afterwards, you recognize that you've done that, you look at your kids and you say, I am so sorry that I ignored you. It will never happen again. Exactly. Um, so everybody, you know, that, there's conviction that happens in our life and we all respond to conviction differently. You just experienced conviction and you said, I don't care. Um, there's all different ways. We're going to be looking at that today. I know that sometimes my kids, recently that's happened to me. Uh, my kids have looked at me in the kitchen. I've been in there and they're like, hey, dad. And they say something. I look back at them later on. I'm like, hey, we should do something for dinner. And they're like, dad, we just asked you what we're doing for dinner. I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew that. And they're like, you did not hear me. You are not listening. Um, Every time God speaks, it demands a response. What we're going to see today, and we're going to learn in John chapter 8 today, is that every time God speaks, yes, it demands a response. Every time we see who Jesus Christ is, it demands a response. We're going to see that we need to evaluate our own responses to who Jesus is and what he has done. John chapter 8, we begin with the woman who is caught in adultery. That's the first 11 verses. Now, yes, I'm going to try to cover these 59 verses very broadly, but I think you're going to pick up on some themes here. In John chapter 8, 1 through 11, here we find this woman who is caught in adultery. And let me tell you, there are, um, well, Jesus, at this point, Jesus is receiving a lot of criticism. Christians are always going to receive criticism. Have you noticed that in our own culture? right? Muslims and other major world religions receive no criticism right now. You've, have you noticed this? In fact, if you, if you said anything against a Muslim right now, do you know what would happen in the culture? You would just be evil and horrendous. Christians are the other. Why? Part of the reason why is very, very simple. Um, this is, it's really not that complicated. One, um, Jesus um, models if someone hits you on one cheek, you turn the other, right? We're so kind and nice. There are other reasons for it too, though. One is Jesus Christ is about to let you know that there is only one true north, and his name is Jesus. There's not many ways to heaven. There is one way to heaven. It's by the name of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. I would be an absolutely horrendous spiritual leader if I did not make that abundantly clear to you. So Jesus is getting a lot of criticism, a lot of questioning from the religious leaders that are before him. And this is what we find in John chapter 8. Because of their criticism, they're wanting to catch Jesus at what he's doing. Now, he's coming, and it's early in the morning. He comes to the temple. It says all the people came to him, and they sat down. So all the people, guess what that means? This is really complicated. It means all the people. 
means every, right? there's a lot of people. All the people who had been watching and trying to discover who this Jesus is and scratching their head a little bit, they're all coming, they're gathering around them. So you have all the people. Then you're also going to see the scribes and the Pharisees. This is an easy way to think about who's on the scene. You have all these people coming and they're watching. Then you have this, the scribes and the Pharisees. Why, not, why doesn't it just say the religious leaders? Well, the, the scribes are the interpreters of the Torah. So you have one group of the scribes and then the Pharisees are the people who want to make sure that they do absolutely everything that they can to carefully observe the law. And so you have the scribes and the Pharisees, you got all these other people, and then they pulled out this lady who had committed what? Adultery. So they pull out this woman who committed adultery, and they're wanting to see how Jesus would respond to her. Why? Because the scribes, the interpreters of the law, and also the Pharisees who were making sure that they carefully observed uh, the law, uh, it, it stated in Leviticus 20.10 that it prescribed death for the penalty of adultery. Ezekiel 23.43-47 also speak to some, some of this as well. But in the law, it says, hey, if somebody commits adultery, you could stone them. And so what they were doing is they were just using this woman as bait. So you had all these people, then you had the scribes and you had the Pharisees, and then you have this lady who's bait because it also states that the husband should be there as well. But they weren't really concerned about the law. They were just simply wanting to use that in order to catch him. Why? Because they were actually under Rome, which means they were limited and restricted by what they could do to him. So they needed to catch him in blasphemy. So they bring this woman before Jesus. Scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, verse 4, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And so in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. So what do you say? And they said that now I, I think that these people had stones in hands at least. I think this, they invented cargo pants. I think they had stones all over the, I think they were truly, they were waiting to stone either Jesus or the woman. One of the two. They're hoping for Jesus, but they'd settle for the woman. So here they are. They let Jesus know, now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now Jesus is God. Go read John chapter 1, right? I'm the word. Word became flesh. Isn't it cute when people remind the person who wrote the word of God what the word of God says? So here they come and say, hey, listen, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? And they said this to what? Test them. Why? Because she's what? Bait. So they said it to test them that they might have some charge to bring against him. So Jesus bends down on the ground and begins to write with his finger on the ground. Now, we do not know exactly what he wrote at all. There are some uh, prophecies and all that talk about how some of his writings. And so was he writing some of that? What was, it? was he writing down different names? Was he playing tic-tac-toe? Don't really know. I'm arguing connect four all day. Right? We, we don't exactly know what Jesus was writing, but he bends down. And then all of a sudden, as this is happening, he's sitting there and it says they continue to ask him, verse 7. So he's sitting, he's writing on the ground. They continue to ask him. They just keep asking and asking and asking, I guess. I don't know what it is. They asked him once, is Jesus, he heard you, he will respond. Like Jesus is not the guy I tell hurry up to. 
right? But there they are asking him, continually asking him, well, hey, what do we do? What do we do? So then he stands up. Now, I can imagine being the son of God that when he stood up, I don't think he was Dutch tall, but I think he, I think he had a presence, right? Dutch tall meaning, well, I don't think he was 7'3", um, but like, I think he had a, like when Jesus stood up off the ground, I think you knew Jesus was standing up. And he looks at him and he says, let him who was without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. This is what he does. This is significant. This is the significance of it. He's literally sitting on the ground. I should not do this. I did not do this last service. Probably won't get up. He's there. He's drawing on the ground. What are we going to do with this woman? The law of Moses says we should stone her. What are we going to do? They're doing it. Why? Because what is she? Bait. The first of you who has no sin in your life, go at it. But otherwise, have none of it. Tells us, at once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now that's a sermon. Because then after that, what's taking place, it says, but when they heard this, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, right? And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. See, one of the problems that we have with this passage, and even one of the reasons we're going to struggle, this is John chapter 8. It's intense. Like it's, this is about to get really heated, by the way. The conversation between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus and everything that's taking place, you're gonna, there are going to be some big words about to be used against each other. Significant. But the reason we struggle with it is because every single time we, we, we step in and we experience conviction, we have to determine how we're going to respond to that. Every time God speaks, it demands a response. We know this, right? I'm going to keep reminding us. And so here they are experiencing conviction. And there's a woman who experienced conviction. And because of her response, she discovered freedom. Other people experienced conviction and they walked away. So know this right now. One experienced conviction and drew closer to Jesus. Right? Others experienced conviction and they walked away from him. What is your response to the conviction that knowing Jesus Christ brings? This is why the world struggles with Christianity. Because there's one true north. And he's saying, I'm the true north. And so conviction comes into our life. Right? And, and, and I know that this is a place. Somebody's, some people are recently there like, okay, this place, I just get convicted. I saw one guy recently. Um, and he just walked up to me. He goes, I used to go to your church. I go, this is going to be great. And this is going to be a fun time. Basically, he just let me know it's, it's just too much right there. That's okay to me. My biblical responsibility is to preach the fullness, the full truth of the word of God. That will never change. So knowing that, this guy comes up and he's like, I used to go to your church. And um, I looked at him right now as I said, I'm glad you still don't. 
Um, I'm not I mean, I'm, never mind. Um, I, I'm kidding. I, it's been a day already. It's been a day. Um, I said, oh, man, I, I'd like to know, like, what is it? And he just let me know, like, just the conviction of it. And he goes, I just don't think that's really the purpose of church. And I said, I would encourage you to read the book of Acts and the Gospel of John and maybe First and Second Corinthians. And he said, that's a, lot, that's a lot of reading. Guys, we're all going to encounter conviction, but how you respond to it is huge, and it reveals your heart posture. Some people experience conviction. They drew closer to Jesus. Others experience conviction, and they step further away from Jesus. And we go through that every day of our life. It doesn't mean that you haven't encountered salvation through Jesus, that you're not faith in him, but we still handle conviction differently. That's why sometimes in our relationship, someone comes up and is like, I can't believe you did this, honey, like such and such. Honey, I can't believe you did this. And, she's, and your, your spouse just responds, well, you don't know the kind of day that I've had. And right away, you're both stepping into a situation and you're not even responsive to each other because of the way you're handling that. You just don't have the right heart posture. Anybody know what I'm talking about on this? Right? Anybody who ever has been married know what I'm talking about right now? Yeah. So we look at this and we say, okay, wait a second then. What, what's unfolding? Friends, when we look at this passage, the religious leaders come with stones in hands. I truly believe that. They're waiting to stone someone and they're plotting against him. And they're all going to have to evaluate the response that they're going to have toward Jesus, whether or not they will have full surrender, if they will have apathy. And I know that for some people who are resistant to that, they're not going to respond well. But let me encourage you, no matter what situation you're in today, let me encourage you with Romans 8 verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what you've done, committed adultery or not, no matter what you've messed up with in your life, no matter the amount of sin that you've had in your life, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation in the power of the blood of him. None. And some people still can't absorb that very well. But that woman discovered freedom. I truly believe in the power of Jesus. Isn't that great? But some of us struggle in responding to the truth. And then he just calls out this whole woman caught in adultery. And there are some people who think that the woman caught in adultery, this entire passage, all the scholars would say this is the word of God, but is it out of place? There are more and more manuscripts that they're finding saying this is exactly where it needs to be in scripture. Um, and, but I look at this and Jesus steps right back in. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, he gives one of the I am's. So how many I am's in the gospel of John? Seven, seven. You got how many I am's in the chapter of John? In, in, John? in Spanish, go. Siete. Okay. I don't know any other language. Um, is that sign language? Sign language. Seven. That's all I got. Seven. How many I am's? You got to know this because now he steps in and he says, I am. Right, we go to the Old Testament, it says, I am the great I am. I, I am the I am. I am who he is. I am God. I am made manifest through him. And he says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. So he goes, here are these people wanting to stone him or stone this woman. And now he calls out, he's like, I'm the light of the world. 
The people must have stuck around. The crowd, right? When it says all the people. And he looks at him and says, I am the light of the world. Follow me. Like whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Why is this significant? Let me, let me help you out a little bit. So we know that this is during the festival and this is during a week-long festival that was just now concluding. They did a lot of things to celebrate festivals. One of the things that they did, was they, they would have a water-pouring ceremony. The water-pouring ceremony for the Jewish people is significant because all of a sudden, remember he says, I am, remember the Samaritan woman? I am the living water. John chapter 4. So they would have had a, pour, a water-pouring ceremony. And he's letting people know, I'm the living water. Well, the night before, they would have just concluded a festival with, they had four giant lamps, and each of those lamps right here would have had up to 75 gallons of olive oil in there. 75 gallons, that's large, right? Four of them in the city, they would have been burning, and they would have had this giant festival. The night before, those would have been put out, festival's over, and now Jesus steps up to the plate and he says, I'm the light of the world. You see the significance here? I'm the light of the world. Don't you understand? You want it to be other things and you're going to keep creating ceremonies and you're going to keep trying to light this or you think that having a water pouring ceremony significance that you have living water now. And you, no, I'm the living water. I'm the light of the world. I'm the true north. So imagine that you're a person who's seen these massive lights every night for the past week and all of a sudden they've been put out and then Jesus steps in and he declares himself as not only the source of living water, but he is now the light of the world. It's like everything's over. It's, it's, um, it's like, anybody have a Christmas tree up yet? <laughs> no. Anybody? Somebody, two people in the last service. Lord have mercy on that marriage. <laughs> I'm like, for real. Um, my kids, I'm not going to say which one of them, but it's my youngest daughter, Ashley. And she started playing Christmas music last week. I said, stop. She goes, what? And that sweet voice, I said, your sweet voice does not matter to me right now. Turn it off. It's just way too early. Can I get a hallelujah? You start December 20th and you end December 25th. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, we got to get, get more creative in our songs. They're all the same. Like, come on. Um, but we're getting there. Imagine all of a sudden it's Christmas. You've taken the tree down and the lights come down. Finally, you're listening to normal music again. And then all of a sudden come, somebody comes up and it's all of that's over. All the, all the parties, all the festivities are done. You've packed them all away. You've, put them, you've taken them in your truck to your rental unit so you could have enough Christmas trees. And you put it all up and then you get back home and here comes Jesus and says, no, I know you just packed it all away, but it's okay. I'm the light of the world. And that's what just happened for them. The lamps have been put, extinguished. Everything's been darkened. And here comes Jesus. He steps onto the scene. And he says, I'm the light of the world. The world can take down anything that they want. And I understand that darkness is all around. And the darkness hates the light, according to John 3. But I am the light of the world. I am the true north. And I am here to light your path. Psalm 115, 105, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. He is the light of the world. And I know things seem dark. I know that things are crazy and chaotic. I think about our election next week. But our God 
is in charge. He is supreme. He is sovereign. We simply remain faithful and forever we worship him. We've got to adopt that mentality, my friends. We've got to understand that. You see, you got to remember, Israel was God's priest, and Israel was to be set on display for the world. And now Jesus is stepping in, and he's going, I am to be on display for the world. Well, as this passage continues, yes, he's bearing witness. He starts to bear witness about himself. And they're like, oh, you can't bear witness about yourself because they don't understand that he actually is God, that full humanity, full deity thing. And they're struggling with this. And the Pharisees and scribes, they they only know how to believe what they've always been told, never what is now being revealed to them. Maybe that's some of you. They're struggling with how to respond to Jesus with the truth. I told you it was going to be strained and this is an intense passage. And it is because Jesus starts calling it out. Like He's like, listen, you are from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. Verse 23. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he... You will die in your sins. They couldn't imagine acknowledging their sins in that type of manner. And so they're struggling with who Jesus Christ is. And he's just calling it out. So they said to him, who are you? He said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. They didn't understand all that he was talking about. Jesus says to them in verse 28, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but just speak as the Father taught me. Now, fortunately, in verse 30, we know that many of the people didn't believe in him, but many of the people didn't. I still think a lot of people, I think some people took their cargo pants and started pulling their rocks out. And they're like, okay, we got nothing on this guy, I believe. I think others still had rocks all in their pants. And they're going, okay, do we get, are we going to get these out? Are we gonna, what are we going to do with this guy? That's how they started the chapter, right? They wanted to stone Jesus or stone the woman. And now they're standing there. They're trying to make an evaluation and a determination on how they're going to respond to the truth. Verse 31 is a passage that we really excel at butchering, Right? All types of people have used this passage. You've seen it in commercials and everything else. But he says, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Right? He's calling this out. He's talking about the sin that they have. And then he says, so Jesus said to the Jews, if you abide in my word, I love that word abide, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And here it comes in verse 32. And the truth will set you free. Anybody heard the truth will set you free before? It could be your first Sunday at church and you've heard the truth will set you free. Here's why the world doesn't like it. Friends, again, there is only one truth. His name is Jesus. And so some of us, the reason I say some of us are still packing the stones in the pants and we're waiting to pull them out and that's stone Jesus is when Jesus all of a sudden, he says something that doesn't align with our emotions, with our feelings. He says something that doesn't do what we want him to accomplish. And so we get upset with him 
right? We lose a friend, we lose a loved one, or maybe we lose our job, or maybe this over here happens with a relationship or this with our career over here, and we get upset because you still, the reason is very simple. You still think God is here to serve you and that he owes you more than what he's already done through his son, Jesus Christ, when he doesn't. And so you, you just, you're waiting to stone him. You're one hard thing away from denying Jesus because you have the wrong understanding of who he is. And yet it tells us, and the truth will set you free. What that very clearly means is that if you truly profess your faith in Jesus Christ, that you understand that he is the word dwelling amongst us, now you know what it is to have freedom in Christ. Nothing else will lead to freedom in Christ. And they hear this and they get all upset. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham. Now this is not something they're going to correct him on. They think that being related to Abraham is everything. He's going to let them know that spiritual brothers and sisters, the spiritual family of God is far more, it's more important than, than your bloodline. And it is because this, friends, whether you like it or not, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you get to hang out with me for the rest of eternity. Lucky you. Right? For eternity, we're going to worship God together. Amen? Amen. We get to declare his goodness. We get to praise him. We get to acknowledge him. And so they call this out and they say, listen, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved. Listen to this. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, that's just stupid. Why? Why did they have the lights lit up all over the city? Why? Because they're recognizing the pillar of light that he, he rep, uh, represented for them as they wandered the wilderness for how many years? 40. After 400 years of captivity to where? Egypt. And yet here they are saying, but we've never been enslaved to anyone. Really? That's why we're having this whole party. It's because you used to be enslaved and now you're not enslaved. Do you not remember the captivity to the Assyrians in the first exile when you were enslaved? Do you not remember the second captivity when you were there with Babylon? And now you're not even in charge where you are. Rome's in charge. Isn't it amazing how easily we can ignore the reality around us so that we don't have to adopt the truth of that that can convict us? So we, don't, so we can be lazy and actually not do anything about what's taking place. I think that was a lot of the people. It tells us, right? And all the people came around them and they're just sitting there watching and listening. And here comes Jesus. Here comes this woman. The woman goes away. Pharisees and the religious leaders, they, they come back into the picture. So he said, truly, truly, I said to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You don't even get what you're a slave to. You don't get it. He acknowledges that they're from Abraham in verse 37. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. He tells them why in verse, 40, in verse 43, he says, you can't even bear to hear my word. You can't bear to hear the truth. You can't bear to absorb it. Here's the truth, but you can't, you can't process it. 
You won't even open your mind and your heart to it because you're so callous and it's so ingrained in you that this is what it has to be when it's so much greater. So he tells them in verse 43 and 44, he's like, listen, why do you not understand this? Because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you will do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Not only this, it it keeps going. It says, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are that you are a Samaritan and have a demon. So they start attacking this guy, this guy saying that he's a half-breed because that's what a Samaritan was. That's why the, the Jewish people struggle with Samaritans because they consider them to be half-breeds in, in essence. And so then you're looking at that. They also even attacked his lineage in terms of his mother. And I don't know about where you were raised, but you mess with my mama. You, you, mm. Right? This is what we see. I mean, in verse 41, they attack his lineage. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. Oh, no, you didn't. And that's what the world's doing today. I don't know why we're surprised because what he's saying is Jesus steps onto the scene. He says, I am the truth. All these other things, they're not gonna help you, but I will. And it doesn't matter what you've done or who you are, but you have to embrace the truth. And some of us simply cannot absorb that. How are you responding to the truth? What does that look like for you? We know that transformation is a continual process. If transformation is a continual process, not a one-time event, how are you being transformed by receiving the truth of Jesus Christ today? How is he wanting you to respond differently in your marriage or in a relationship or in your career? How is he wanting you to respond differently in your habits, in your practices, in your spiritual disciplines How are you responding to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord? It's just, this is a reality check. The the, the tension here is high. I mean, these guys are attacking his lineage. They're attacking and claiming him to be a a half-breed, that he's not of God at all. He says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Verse 52. And I know I'm not diving into all of this, but Jesus said to him, listen to the last two verses. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Beginning of the chapter. um, Jesus comes, he's there, all the people come around him. They bring rocks and hands, I truly believe that, because they bring this woman who committed adultery. They wanted to stone her to stone Jesus. The chapter starts with rocks, it starts with stones, and then it ends with stones, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Chapter starts 
It starts with rocks, it ends with rocks. And right in the middle, there's an opportunity to evaluate how we are responding to the truth. And we have people who responded to the, that conviction. Listen, you are, anybody here a sinner? Raise your hand. Go ahead and acknowledge it. You know what sin, acknowledgement of sin does? It leads to repentance. What repentance leads to is greater intimacy with the Heavenly Father. It's a beautiful thing. But people encounter Jesus Christ, and in that conviction, it's going to bring conviction. Some of them drew closer to Jesus, and others said, uh-uh, get out the rocks. I think some of us today, we have some areas of our life, we want to claim salvation through Jesus, but we're actually throwing rocks at him when it comes to our practices, our habits with pornography and lust and alcohol and gluttony. And we're actually just saying, Jesus, no, 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 you don't get control of that part of my life. You only get the part where I get to have eternity. I still get to do whatever I want. You do not understand the power of the word of God if that's the way that you're choosing to live. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. If you believe that Jesus is the light of the world, I want you to do me a favor. Anybody believe Jesus is the light of the world? Most of you should raise your hand. You might have some unbelievers here. That's okay. Write your name. Put it in a note. We're going to pray for you. I want you to do me a favor. Just write down a couple of words. Write down, I will. On a sheet of paper. Make me feel really good if you act like you're writing it, even if you don't have a pen in your hand. Mm-hmm. Right? I will. And I want you to say, man, if I believe that Jesus is the light of the world, I will what? What is it in your life that you need to respond to Jesus and live more according to his truth and his word? I will speak up on behalf of Christ. I will live courageously at work or at school. I will admit to my addictions that I have or my idols that I actually place in in front of Jesus Christ. And we do that, why? Because it says that when we allow Christ to shine before us, Matthew chapter five, we're able to do that, why? So that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. What will you do today? What will you do tomorrow so that you can step closer to Christ, that you've experienced conviction, you know what's there, but instead of walking away from him, you're going to walk closer to him. Some of you need to grow enough to actually pull the rocks out of the pockets and be done with them because you're waiting for Jesus. You're waiting to get ticked off at God. No, I will worship him in hard days. I will worship him in good days. I will worship him when the world makes no sense to me. I will worship him when I lose my job because I speak of my faith. I will worship him when it's snowing outside or if there's sunshine. It does not matter what may come my way. I will worship him. He is the light of the world. The stones are out of my pocket because his faith is in my heart and I will celebrate his goodness. Will you respond to the truth of Jesus? For there is no other way. God, I come before you.
I declare your goodness. I give thanks for your goodness. I celebrate you and I worship you and I praise you. I acknowledge that you are the light of the world. You're the living water. And some of my friends here, God, God, I know that they're stepping out of this place into hardship and a difficulty, but you are, God declared now, you are greater than all of our hardship for they are temporary and you are eternal. And so walk with these friends, with these brothers and sisters, encourage them and comfort them. Show them your light so that may, they may no longer stumble. Thank you for being our king.